Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. A good friend of mine came to me uh, a couple of days ago and said, you really ought to talk to these filmmakers. They're doing some great work. They're really showcasing and highlighting homelessness, uh, the issues around homelessness, not only the issues of themselves, but in ways in which we can be creative in addressing those issues and really find success in an area of uh, our social issues that seems to be intractable, particularly here in California. So I said, sure, David, what do you want me to do? So I'm so I am doing that. I'm talking to the director producers of this terrific four part documentary series, The Way Home. And we're joined today by Camille Servan Schreiber, as well as Don Hardy and Sean Daly. To all of you, welcome to Film School Radio. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Don Hardy, how did this all come about? Yeah, uh, well, uh, yeah, thanks again for having us. The idea for this came, uh, you know, it's just something that I think we all encounter living in California. You encounter homelessness almost every day. Just thinking about, is there a story to tell here? Is there a way to do it? And then right about that time, I was approached by Kaiser Permanente, who, and they, being a healthcare organization, are also very interested in this issue. So they had me come in for a meeting and over the course of the meeting, it, it became obvious that they wanted to tell a story about homelessness. So then, you know, we had to figure out exactly, is this an independent film with some financing support or, or what is it? And once we worked all of that out and we do have full it, uh, editorial control of the series, we set off to make just the most compelling stories that we could about what we were seeing every day here in our state and focus on people that are trying to come up with solutions that are active, that aren't just saying, oh, this is a huge problem and there's no way out of it. We really wanted to take it from the position of solutions. And, and is there a way out of this situation that we find ourselves in, this uh, thing that people are now calling an epidemic? It's probably been an epidemic for a long time, but finally they're starting to use that terminology. I reached out to Camille and we'd been wanting to collaborate on a project for a while. And she was like, yeah, I'm totally in. And then Sean and I are uh, collaborators on several projects. So it became a, a three-headed monster. Uh, but we needed all of us because it is such a big issue. And there's so many um, just pitfalls to it. And uh, so, yeah, I'm really glad that we've had the team uh, that we've had for now about 18 months of working on this project. One of the things I like about the the series, they're chunks of somewhere between 14 and eight minute long of the four different videos or films that we see. And to your point, Don, it's it's easy to kind of throw your hands up and say, well, it's just an impossible thing. It's always going to be this way. What can we do? We it's sort of a, more of a triage approach to homelessness. Yeah. That's been kind of the the idea. We'll try to take care of the people we can, but sorry about the rest of you. Uh, I like the fact that you set the whole series up going back to the 1980s and without falling too far down this rabbit hole of editorializing. <laughs> for me personally, not speaking for you, but for me personally, the Reagan administration seems to be kind of the Rosetta Stone for a lot of social issues that seem to be intractable. Their policies kind of set in motion a whole bunch of things that we're still reaping the ill winds of. And I'm glad that you, I'm glad you went back there and I'm glad you talked about it because the way he talked about 
that uh, the independence as opposed to dependence sort of that dynamic sets this whole thing up beautifully. And I'm going to go to you, Camille. Um, in terms of uh, Don approaches you about being a part of this project, what were the things that you were looking for in terms of what you wanted to to really kind of dive into and figure out how to to tell this story? You know, I at first I just wanted to do it because homelessness in California, in the especially in the urban areas where where I happen to live uh, is is so huge and has been growing and it was so so I, I actually approached the project having no idea how do you even begin initially when we thought of it we thought we were at the beginning of the project we thought we would be doing a feature film about homelessness but as um, as we started digging into the story and doing some reporting and we have a journalism you know we're, we're journalists at heart so it was really about finding what story needs to be told uh, we realized that homelessness is not one thing. It's a very multifaceted problem. There are people say every case is an individual case and you're talking about hundreds of thousands of people and every organization and every program tackles one aspect of it. It was um, a big thing to sort of hold together and we quickly figured out that a feature film would not do it justice. And that's why we pivoted to do a series of shorts and that's why the the every film has its own length they're not all the same length because there is nothing cookie cutter about this story <laughs> you know then we we started meeting with people who do great work in the field and trying to understand how they do it what they do but what was really at the forefront of our mind was how do we give the people who are experiencing homelessness voice how do we uh, show their faces, listen to their stories, and give them a platform because they are very much on the sidelines of our society and everybody does a really good job at ignoring them and not looking at them in the eye and speaking with them. And we thought this would be a great opportunity to, to hear from them what their lives really are like and what could be done better. Well, Sean Daly, you're the uh, series producer in terms of sort of allocation of resources, we visit the state of California from the Bay Area, uh, Bakersfield to Los Angeles. And as you say in this um, in these films, California is kind of the epicenter of homelessness in, in the country. In terms of sort of the overview of this of this project, Bakersfield, Bay Area, Los Angeles, what what is the sort of what's the overarching kind of theme or connecting thread in those? Areas. Well, they're, all, they're all really different cities. I mean, California is so big and it's so vast. You know, if you go spend a couple of days in Bakersfield and drive up and spend two days in Oakland, two days in San Francisco, come down two days in LA, it's like you're visiting four different worlds at, it, it pretty much. And I live right in the middle in Santa Barbara and we have a, a terrible homelessness issue here, which is just, I can't understand why with everyone that's here with all the wealth that's here, uh, they can't seem to fix it. You know, looking at each city is a whole different universe. Every problem is different. If you look at the episode about Bakersfield, you know, there's stuff that we didn't use in that episode where we end up down in the Kern River and there's wild dogs running around. You're not going to see that in downtown LA. You're going to see a whole different version of what the problem is. So I think cutting it up into little pieces was a really smart idea because trying, you can make a feature film about homelessness for every city. Yeah. There's so many issues there and there's so many solutions, some successful, some unsuccessful. I think, and I think I believe it was Don's idea to do them in shorts because that's really the only way to show people. It's like the smaller they are, the bigger we can show the problem. You know right. what I mean? Like if we focused on one city, 
you know, people would be thinking, oh, homelessness is only in LA. What right. really Fresno, Bakersfield, Santa Barbara, Ventura, Oxnard. It, the, the problem looks the same everywhere. And what we've noticed too, is we did some filming at some conventions and I went to Denver for a convention and the homelessness problem there is terrible. And it is, it's totally unnecessary. And it looks exactly like it does in downtown LA. So even though this is a California story, if you're watching this in Austin, Texas, or Nashville, Tennessee, or Baltimore, or Portland, or Seattle, you're going to be able to see it, recognize it, and see hopefully some solutions that we bring forward and, and hopefully get involved and do something or at least be a little bit more compassionate when you see it. But I think splitting them up into small chunks and, and kind of going throughout this the state was the only way to do it. And we're actually working on season two. We're focusing on Sacramento in one episode. So yeah, I guess it just, everything came down to California's huge, the problem is huge, and the only way to do it is to tackle it city by city. I want to get into kind of some of the structural issues that, that are discussed and, and, and we get to, to sort of examine in this series, The Way Home. But I also, one of the things that struck me during my time when I worked in government was the idea of just how many people are out there that are homeless and how there seems to be an inability to kind of figure out the scale of the problem. And I know in LA County, they did a pretty, what they consider to be a pretty thorough count of the people that they were estimating were homeless. But even then it seemed, it seemed in, not quite a shot in the dark, but it certainly seemed like it's, it's just a difficult issue to kind of figure out the scale of it, except what your eyes tell you, right? You go to certain parts of any city that you're talking about, and you'll see a lot of people who are homeless, particularly in downtown areas. So one, it's one thing to just kind of wrap your arms around just how many people are out there that are homeless. But Don, let's go, I'll go back to you in terms of the, in the first episode, we talked about how did we get here? And I, I sort of addressed that in my editorial but I, but I also think that there are other issues involved here. We live in a in an era of of uh, uh, a new era, a new industrial revolution, and that is contributing. But what are some of the other issues, the sort of on the ground issues that are contributing to homelessness? Yeah, I think the biggest thing really is the lack of affordable housing, and that's new homes being constructed. It's alternative solutions like tiny homes. Uh, it's it's so many of the things that we talk about, and and I think our innovation sector is putting forward, but they're not really getting done. And, and you couple that with so many people move, being asked to move to the Bay Area or to California in general, because there's so many jobs, there is so much invention here, and they're taking up the homes that other people used to be in. And one thing that we found out early on in this is a lot of the, the people that you see on the streets, uh, more times than not, are locals. They're not folks that move here to become homeless because of the weather or you know any other factors like that's that. that These are your neighbors. Yeah. Um, they have roots here and that's why they tend to stay here. They had jobs, they had families, they had houses or apartments, they had things were working until the, those that the connective tissue, that uh, safety net was taken away. And then they end up uh, on, a, on somebody's couch for a while until that goodwill runs out. Then they end up in their car until the car doesn't work anymore or is repossessed. And then they're on the street and this pattern is over and over and over. So, you know, highlighting the organizations that are trying to get these people back on the right track felt really important to us, but also taking a look at some of those bigger systemic things that are the root cause. Hopefully we, we get through that, you know, in the first episode into a lot of the, that root stuff and then get a little bit more personal in the subsequent episodes. 
And that's a real strength of the series is is focusing on certain people in each of these episodes to hear their stories and to hear how specific those stories are to them, but how universal those other issues are, just as you talked about in terms of people who uh, can't afford to live in the homes that they're that they bought. You know, some of them bought 30 years ago for whatever reason, they're unable to continue to live there and then how difficult it is to find affordable housing um, anywhere. And and also the elderly. Camille, yeah. I want to bring you in. I mean, the, the, this is something that is become only going to get more acute in terms of the the bubble of the baby boomers becoming an older part of the uh, a significant part of the U.S. population now. And how many of those, even if it's just this, a, a smaller percentage, is going to be an immense amount of people that will be looking for housing, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's it, it was flabbergasting to us to learn how many um, people who are homeless today are over 50. It's it's over half of them. Yeah. Um, actually, there's a Dr. Margot Koshel, who is um, a professor at UCSF has done some research into this, which we, we talk about in the, in the documentaries, but that really looks at how is this happening? Why is this happening? And what's interesting is that she and, the, and her team, of course, found out that it didn't used to be that so many older people were homeless. This is really a, a new trend. And these, these people are becoming homeless for the first time in, in their life. These are not people who, who have been homeless their whole life and just happen to be old now. It's people who, who had a house, had a life, had, a, had families, had jobs. And then as they get older, but these are people who live on the brink of poverty. They have one or two jobs and they, they just barely make it until they don't make it anymore because maybe they have an accident. And so they cannot do the physical labor that they used to be able to do. And, and that's how they become homeless. And we've heard this story over and over again. And it is so heart-wrenching to see that our society has no safety net for these people. And so the only place they, to go is outside. That in combination with what we already talked about, which is the, what, what Don was mentioning, that the real problem is there's not enough housing and California has has been underbuilding housing for 30 years back to the Reagan era for Californians back to prop 13 even you know this this was all started 40 years ago and what we see now is the ripples of generational impact of these policies that over time worsen and worsen so there's just not enough housing in California and to that point, and going back Reagan, or you can go back to almost any point in American political history where you will also get the same, this argument that homelessness or a lack of resources is a moral failure, right? That somehow that these people are only homeless because they're shiftless or, they, or they're irresponsible and they, you know, they brought this upon themselves. And one of the things I, I see in, in the way home is that people are feels like, at least in an institutional level, I've gotten past all of those kinds of prejudices about people who are homeless. And, and much of the population now, I think, recognizes that this is not a moral failure on their part. There's a whole lot of other factors involved as well. I hope that's true. I hope you're right. I feel that there is still a lot of judgment out there about homeless people. How did you find yourself in this position? What's your problem? Where really it, it is systemic. It is. It's also um, there's a huge racial factor as well. You know the the injustice is um, 
is very visible there too, because if you look at the African-American population in California, it's around eight, nine percent, um, seven to nine percent, depending on where, but they make more than 40 percent of um, of the homeless population. So that again goes back to, to very long generational ramifications and, and policies that have been implemented by the government that have led to this situation. Well, and also this is where we talk about systemic racism, the inability of African-Americans to buy homes, which is we, as we know is the best indicator of passing wealth from one generation to another and accumulating wealth comes in the process of buying a home and being able to hold on to that and pass it down, that's where the sustainable wealth of a family is often the case. And that has not been available to the African-American community. Exactly. So when, when you have a, a major mishap in your life, who do you turn to? Right. Do, you have a, do you have people in your community that you can turn to to get right. some help? Right. And, and for many, that's not available. Right. Well, Sean Daly, um, this is where we get to the fun part in a sense, mm-hmm. of our conversation, because in The Way Home, there are a number of people doing great work, not only individually, but also a recognition, a political, social, cultural uh, recognition that this is not like we're trying to split the atom. This is something that we can, if we have the will, we can begin to make real progress in terms of, of uh, homelessness. Let's talk some about the programs that seem to be moving in that direction. Yeah, there's, there's, again, going back to my to answer to the last question, there's so many, it's, it's, you know, we couldn't cover them all, but, you know, in the Bay Area, Bax, they were doing the program to house people over 50, and I believe it was 500 people or 515 people that they wanted to house in a certain amount of time. In Bakersfield, we met up with Flood Ministries, which is uh, a religious-based group, faith-based group, but more along the lines of sobriety, addiction, mental health, which I, I've got a lot of all that in my family, and that to me is like where things really start. So they, to me, that, that group really stood out to me and they're doing a lot of work, finding people, identifying mental illness, identifying addiction issues and trying to get through these barriers that are set up. Like, Hey, you can't be in our housing program because you're an alcoholic. Well, how about just get them housed, then start taking them to an AA meeting. There's so much. It's hard to get someone who's got nothing to take an hour out of the day to go to a recovery meeting. Right. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people come out with their prejudice and say, Oh, Homeless folks don't want to do anything. They're lazy. Well, to me, the amount of effort that goes into trying to feed yourself, find shelter, find a way to clean yourself, just do the things that we take for granted. Everybody, that's a full-time gig. You don't have time to go to AA. And then you go to AA and you don't feel welcome, even though it's one of the most welcoming places in the world. So I think all these organizations do such great work. You know, It was impossible for us to go through all of them, but the ones featured in their backs, flood, what's going on in LA, all that stuff is, they're all doing great work in different ways. I mean, again, it, it takes a full organization to cover each problem and, and probably more than one in each city. So, you know, Flood and, and Bakersfield's doing outreach mainly to women and mainly faith-based and mainly in addiction. That's one little pocket of it. And they're already dealing with hundreds of people. So yeah. it kind of shows you the scope of it. But at the heart of it, I think that there's these mental health and addiction issues in addition to the systemic racism and, you know, it's hard to, to help someone get their life in order while they're living on the street. So I think there's these low barrier programs that don't require to, you to be sober or religious to come in. They just say, hey, let's get you a place to live. Yeah. Let's start there. And then let's come over and talk about getting you sober. Let's talk about getting you a psychologist, psychiatrist, whatever you need. Then let's start talking about some job interviews if they're available to you. 
because you're not going to send someone in who's been an alcoholic for 20 years living on the street to get a job. They're not going to get the job. So it, it really comes this housing first initiative that we found through all these organizations. That to me is the solution. The money is there, house folks, and then help them put their life back together. You know, it's, it's really simple. And the fact that we live in a country that there's a contingent of people, about 70 million of them, who just don't want to help people. They're just like, no, we don't think that's a good idea. And I, I just, I don't understand it personally. So I hope that answers your question. I kind of oh, went yeah. off on my own personal feelings there, but yeah. I think I reflect the feelings of the group. Yeah, you did. And um, I, I'll go back to you, Don Hardy. And that is, I don't know it, what kind of studies have been done, but something tells me that when you start calculating the social cost of people being on the street, policing them, incarcerating them, all of the attendant cost of suddenly their wards of the state, how much does that set? You know, when you start adding up all these numbers, it makes fiscal sense to try and do what they're doing in the Bay Area or in these other programs. It makes it makes sense on a lot of different levels, but certainly, and oftentimes, this is the determinant factor in a discussion about a lot of issues. How much is it going to cost, and what's the cost benefit analysis? And something tells me it's more cost benefit better that it's a phrase that i that doesn't sound right to to actually house these people and then start figuring out the ways in which they can be uh, 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 putting into the economy in a way that's beneficial for everyone yeah I, I think that is largely correct i haven't seen that study but i would love to see yeah if there is one out there that really can articulate that cost but what we've seen you know so this these first four episodes that come out uh, on December 4th, they lead right up to the dawn of COVID. And then our season two that we're working on now is COVID forward. So what we've seen over the past several months during the COVID pandemic is our state largely responding like the emergency that the homeless epidemic is. So we've seen some changes be put in place temporarily, getting people into ho hotels, getting people off the streets, getting people uh, street level medical care, things that weren't necessarily done before. So the hope coming out of this, as we, you know, hopefully start to crest out of COVID, is that some of these temporary solutions will become more permanent. And it, it, we will have proven that the, it is there, the possibility is there, the money is there, the will is there. We just have to keep continue doing it and find a way to get them to the next level from a temporary hotel room to a more permanent tiny home or apartment or whatever it might be. So I, yeah, I think, I think, you know, following up on everything we said is that is, that is what has happened over the past several months. And now we need to see if it will continue. Fantastic. Well, this documentary series is called the way home. And as we talked about, it is going to be premiering on December 4th, coming right up on Amazon, Google, and Apple. And you should check this out. It looks great. It's a, it, the the look of the of the series, the the all, the technical side of it looks great, and you've got some wonderful stories uh, regarding people who have been on both sides of this issue. And w what better way for someone uh, to be able to uh, to bring that kind of level of real experience to a to a situation now now being on the side in which she can help some of these people uh, get get to her side of that. Uh, so that this is just a uh, emotionally involving, engaging, and informative 
documentary film series. So I, my congratulations to all three of you as Camille Savon Schreiber as and Don Hardy as director and producer, and then Sean Daly as the producer of the series. My, my congratulations to you and keep going. And uh, when we get to the second season, I hope you'll come back and uh, keep us up to date on what's happened. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Good talking with you. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. 